0: This is the X-Men Unraveled podcast, and I am your host, Noel. This is a podcast that follows the stories of the X-Men comics in chronological order. This week, I am continuing with the story of the mutant known as Apocalypse. If you remember, he started out as an abandoned baby in the Egyptian desert thousands of years ago, until he was adopted by a warrior named Baal, who named him Ensaba Nur. Then his experience... Fighting against the time traveler Rama Tut led him to claim the name Apocalypse and set out to conquer humanity. Much later, in the 20th century, he goes on to become a major antagonist to the X-Men. But if you're keeping track, that leaves out about 5,000 years between his origins in Egypt and his first encounter with the X-Men. So what does a supervillain do with all that time to kill? quite a bit, and that is what I'm going to get into today. I tried to find any appearances of Apocalypse in that time frame, and there's a few pretty interesting stories to go over. Apocalypse spends a lot of his time recruiting powerful followers to join in his efforts to conquer the world. If you remember from the last episode, the writer Louis Simonson, who created Apocalypse, explained that he has a run-in with the Celestials And becomes convinced of the need for mutants to become as strong and powerful of a race as possible. Over the centuries, he continues to follow his corrupted form of survival of the fittest, and so he searches out the most powerful mutants to join him in his crusade to create this super race of mutants. And he is so determined in this plan that he even joins forces with his nemesis from ancient Egypt, Ramatut in order to try and stop certain heroes from thwarting his plans later in history. It's kind of like the go-back-in-time-and-kill-baby-Hitler thought experiment, but this time it's Hitler going back to try and stop the Allies. So, thankfully, spoiler alert, his plan does not work. This episode is going to span a long period of time and move through a few different comic series because Apocalypse is a busy guy building armies and tracking down mutants, but I've tried to lay everything out so that it's as clear as possible. The specific issues I read to talk about today are Black Knight Exodus number one, Uncanny X-Force number three, only pages one to four, and Uncanny Avengers number six. If you are interested in reading any of the comics I talk about, or finding any of the information that comes up, visit my blog for show notes that are full of links to more info at xmenunraveled.wordpress.com. I also post uh, which comic issues I will cover ahead of episode releases on my Instagram at xmenunraveled. So with that, let's get started. First, I wanted to talk about the Riders of the Dark, who are also known as the Dark Riders or Riders of the Storm. And this is an army of mutants and inhumans who follow Apocalypse and support his creed. The comics don't really get into a lot of individuals who make up this army, um, but it is composed of a lot of mutant recruits, which obviously we know who they are, or what they are at least. Um, but I honestly didn't know anything about the Inhumans prior to, uh, learning about the Writers of the Dark for this episode. I know that there was a TV show a couple of years ago that only ran for like one season, uh, but I didn't see it. And then, um, I know they make appearances on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but that's pretty much as far as my awareness of the Inhumans went. But I started looking them up after they were mentioned as writers of the Dark, and it turns out that they have a pretty interesting history that I couldn't pass up, even though it did take me pretty far from Apocalypse. But I decided that it probably doesn't hurt every once in a while to go over some non-X-Men Marvel lore in this podcast, so let's talk about them for just a second. The Inhumans originated from an experiment by the alien race known as the Kree. If you've seen Guardians of the Galaxy or Captain Marvel, you might remember them. They're usually blue, like Ronan the Accuser, um, but others aren't, like Jude Law played Yon-Rogg, and he wasn't blue. But a lot of them are, if you see someone blue in the movies, chances are they're Cree. So, these Cree undertook genetic experiments on early humans, um, very early, something like 50,000 years ago, in order to try and create a powerful race of super soldiers that they could order to go fight their wars for them. They ended up abandoning the project, but they had already modified humans enough to create a new race who would be called the Inhumans. They are naturally stronger and faster than regular humans, and also live longer. These Inhumans would go on to build an advanced society, long before humans formed villages or towns. Later on in time, an inhuman scientist discovered that by using mist created from Terrigen crystals, some inhumans could manifest powers. Not all of them could go through this process because it could also cause problematic mutations. So they implement a genetic screening program to try and avoid anyone going through something unpleasant. The Inhumans remained intentionally isolated from humans for the most part, originally because humans were afraid of them and would just start attacking them. Sounds so different than modern humans. But as a result, the Inhumans built isolated and technologically advanced cities in the Himalayas and then also on the moon. Over time, some groups of Inhumans split away from the main civilization and either set up their own societies or went to live among humans. Obviously, some of these Inhumans that left ended up joining Apocalypse as writers of the dark. Some important Inhumans are Black Bolt, Medusa, and Crystal. They show up in lots of different comic series like the Fantastic Four, the Avengers, Thor, and then they also have their own standalone comic series as well. But that's just a very brief intro to the Inhumans to kind of let you know who they are. If you are interested in them, I'll post the links to the articles and comic lists that I used on the blog. Uh, They're definitely a group with its own unique story worth looking into, and one that I didn't know about. Now, let's get back to Apocalypse and the rest of his army. The writers of the Dark, including Inhuman and Mutant members, do his bidding and help him conquer his enemies. A lot of times he will just take them into battle. They look like a huge army, but they're stronger than anybody else they faced. The writers subscribe to his code, Survival of the Fittest, and so they view anyone they defeat as simply not fit and not worthy to survive. This includes mutants, which makes Apocalypse kind of interesting. He doesn't care about the well being of mutants as a whole group, only the ones that are the strongest. This is in contrast to someone like Magneto, who wants to elevate mutants as a whole above humans. He sees all mutants as superior to humans, whereas Apocalypse makes even mutants prove their strength and value to him. The Writers of the Dark are a dangerous group, and they're very powerful. They remain loyal to Apocalypse for centuries, and he recruits more as time goes on until they are defeated in the late 1800s by vampires. Stay tuned for that story in the next episode if you want to hear more about that. In addition to his army, Apocalypse also recruited, or sometimes more accurately and ominously collected, powerful mutants to serve as his four horsemen. If you are familiar with the Book of Revelations in the Bible, or read or watched the far more entertaining Good Omens, then you know that there are four horsemen who each bring about one aspect of the end of the world, or the apocalypse. The biblical horsemen are named conquest, war, famine, and death. Apocalypse follows suit. With one alteration, he replaces conquest with pestilence. Honestly, it kind of makes sense. Conquest and war is a little bit repetitive. Over the centuries, various individuals serve as his horsemen. Some of them join Apocalypse willingly, but other times, individuals are conscripted or forced into working with him. The movie X-Men Apocalypse actually does a pretty good job of showing the process of Apocalypse recruiting his horsemen. In the movie, he recruits Storm as Famine, Psylocke as Pestilence, Angel as Death, and Magneto as War. The movie also shows how Apocalypse increases the powers of each mutant dramatically once they are brought into his ranks. For example, when Angel joins as one of the horsemen, Apocalypse transforms his feathered wings into more deadly metal wings. In the comics, Apocalypse makes this whole recruitment process a little bit darker in that he found four chosen mutants- from different time periods, and essentially stored them in suspended animation until whenever he's ready to put them to work. Apocalypse will often use a hibernation chamber to increase his own powers, and these are celestial technology, and as he hibernates for years at a time, the chamber increases his power. And honestly, that might be the one thing I can relate to Apocalypse about. I will nap at any given opportunity. I don't really wake up stronger though, so. Anyway, Apocalypse uses his hibernation chambers on four mutants that lived at various points in history, as told in the first four pages of Uncanny X Force number three. The first mutant is Decimus Furius, who lived in Rome in the third century CE. He was an orphan living on the streets when his powers emerged and these turned him into a mutant with the appearance of a minotaur, a giant man with the head of a bull. Lots of mutants go through pretty harrowing transformations when their powers show up, Uh, but this guy seems like he might have had one of the worst experiences, (laughs) if you ask me. He grew to far above the size of a normal human, and gained superhuman strength and regenerative powers. In fear, the Romans around him tried to kill him, but he was obviously stronger and killed those who attacked him. Decimus Furius ultimately spent time in prison for murder, I am not sure how they caught him, but later he was given the chance to fight as a gladiator. That is where Apocalypse found him and recruited him as the Horseman War. Furious also wields an axe that can cause any individual it touches to become filled with rage and attack everyone around them. I would imagine or guess that Apocalypse gave him the axe to make him more powerful, uh, but it doesn't say exactly how he acquired the axe or where its power comes from. But he has it, and it's pretty dangerous. Next up, we've got Sanjar Javid. He is from 4th century Persia and was the illegitimate son of the king of Persia and one of his servants. His father disregarded him and never claimed him as his own, which led to a constant sadness and resentment at his treatment. When Javid's powers emerge, they are referred to as an ailment aura, and this refers to the fact that he was able to infect others with terminal illnesses and silently remove his enemies. Honestly, pretty freaking scary, if you ask me. Javid naturally becomes the horseman death. Then we get to Ichisumi, who was a geisha in 19th century Japan. She is described as having an inferiority complex, and she was unsuccessful in her work as a geisha, because she was too meek and afraid to be the lively social butterfly that a geisha is expected to be. In addition, her father criticized her and treated her cruelly because of her failure. Her shame and anger sparked her power, which is really gross. She opens her mouth, unhinges her jaw like a freaking snake, and thousands of beetles fly out and attack her enemies. And these beetles not only physically harm her victims, but they also absorb their memories and somehow transmit them to Ichisumi who essentially goes insane from them. Once her power emerges, she sets the Beatles upon her rival Geisha that she was jealous of in order to disfigure them and take out her competition. Apocalypse recruits her as pestilence. Finally, we have Jeb Lee, who's a Confederate spy in the U.S. Civil War. Just in case we weren't sure if he was a good guy or a bad guy. We already know. So... He returns home to the South in the uniform he wore to infiltrate the Union Army, and the Southerners just see a Union uniform attack his family, burning them alive for his assumed treachery. That stressful situation causes Lee's powers to manifest, and he was able to induce a bioauditory cancer by tapping. So... People hear this sound and a cancer starts eating away their flesh, um, and most often he would carry around a drum that he would use to inflict this on people. Apocalypse discovered Lee and made him the Horseman of Famine. All four of these individuals were stored for Apocalypse's later use. He keeps them asleep in his hibernation chambers, like the ones that he uses and Ozymandias, Apocalypse's servant, oversees keeping the mutants hidden and in suspended animation to quote, be awoken only when all other approaches have failed. Not gonna lie, I don't really think I'd want to meet any four of these mutants. They all sound pretty terrifying. There are other mutants who fill the roles of the four horsemen for varying amounts of time being replaced if they fall in battle. One short-lived set of horsemen appears in Uncanny Avengers number 6, only to be defeated and not even named. But I will tell you a little more about them in just a bit. In the 12th century, Apocalypse tried to recruit a mutant called Exodus as one of his horsemen, and this story is told in Black Knight Exodus number 1. Exodus was a mutant named Bennett du Paris who was fighting in the Crusades. He and a fellow crusader are trying to find the city of Aqaba, where the tower of what he calls the Eternal Pharaoh is said to be located. If you remember, Apocalypse was born in Aqaba. So I'll let you take a guess on what he finds there. At this time, Bennett is also just becoming aware of his telekinetic powers. He isn't sure what's happening, but he believes that he's special somehow. He can like sense something's going on, but he doesn't know what yet. But when he gets to the place that he thinks the tower should be, he hears someone speak to him, and a huge boulder flies at him. Bennett is able to stop it with his telekinetic powers before he gets crushed, and then he actually causes the boulder to explode. Then he is attacked by a green bug-looking creature who turns out to be the one whose voice he heard, and Bennett defeats it using his powers. Then he is approached by and joins Apocalypse, who was also there. Surprise, surprise. Apocalypse basically sees the potential in Bennett and uses his abilities to increase Bennett's powers to such a degree that he is actually an omega-level mutant. So he is the highest level mutant that exists. Bennett's telekinesis increases dramatically and he can use it to fly. Uh, He can cause concussive blasts and create a force field around himself. And this is when he also takes on the name Exodus. But when Apocalypse um, attacks and wants Exodus to kill uh, one of his friends, Exodus actually turns against Apocalypse and tries to defeat him. But Apocalypse is still stronger and subdues Exodus and takes away his powers. Exodus is then left alive but comatose in a tomb in the Alps for about 800 years. He ends up staying there until Magneto rescues him in the 20th century. So, like I said, some people join Apocalypse willingly, but when stuff like that can happen, how much of a choice do they really have? And there's even some X-Men who have been convinced into serving as horsemen, sometimes just temporarily. These recruits include Angel, Wolverine, and Gambit. Some of them serve him by choice, others are forced or acting as double agents but those stories occur much later in time, so it's going to be a little bit before I get to them. So overall, the Horsemen are an important part of Apocalypse's plans. He wants to be unstoppable, and one way to do that is to surround himself with the most powerful mutants he can find. Now, let's jump into a full issue, Uncanny Avengers number 6. This series has a lot going on, but I'm going to talk about the parts that relate directly to Apocalypse. In this issue, he has, quite surprisingly, teamed up with his mortal enemy from the last episode, the time-traveling pharaoh Rama Tut. He's still dressed like a pharaoh, and I assume he's wearing it around Apocalypse to like reflect their history. I thought it was kind of weird, though. Seems like unless you're in ancient Egypt, you don't dress like that, but... I don't know, maybe he likes it, whatever. So these two villains have found themselves working together in order to try and prevent the interference of Thor and Wolverine in their evil plans. To accomplish this, Apocalypse uses Ramatut's time travel ship to get to Scandinavia in 1013 CE, where Thor is busy drinking and fighting with the locals. Apocalypse shows up in the tavern where Thor is having a good old time and attacks him, hits him in the back. Thor tries to fight him off, but Apocalypse is wearing armor that Thor is unable to damage and Thor has to retreat. He goes back to Asgard, extremely pissed off, and asks his father Odin for help defeating Apocalypse. But Odin refuses because there is a truce between Asgard and the Celestials, who are the beings that created Apocalypse's armor. Odin basically tells Thor to piss off about Apocalypse and also says that if Thor does defeat Apocalypse in this situation, then much worse things are going to happen in the future. Thor, the hothead, is of course not just going to walk away after Apocalypse bested him, especially when he thinks the fight was unfair, which it was. And while Thor is fuming, Loki shows up and offers his assistance. You would think that living for centuries as the brother of the god of mischief, Thor would learn to turn down Loki's help. But, ever the himbo, Thor listens to Loki. Loki takes Thor to the library and shows him a book that gives instructions for an enchantment that Thor can use on his weapon, which will grant the ability to cut through Apocalypse's celestial-made armor. Thor runs off, oblivious and happy to have his chance to defeat Apocalypse, and the Loki that Thor conferred with transforms into Ramatut. Not knowing this, Thor heads off to use the enchantment, and clearly into some nefarious plot of Ramatuts. Meanwhile, having lost Thor, Apocalypse then sets out to find a man named Folkburn Logan, an ancestor of Wolverine. Folkburn is in England and referred to as the last pagan in London. He is bullshitting with a fellow guard at the gate to the city when Apocalypse's four horsemen emerge from a huge explosion. These horsemen are not named in the comic, but there is a Native American woman riding a flying bear, a mummy riding a pegasus, a scary dude with what looks like metal wings and an eye for a head, and one who just looks like the Grim Reaper. And to be totally honest, I wouldn't mind some background on this bunch, because they seem really interesting, but this seems to be their only appearance, and on the Marvel fandom wiki, they're only referred to by their horsemen names, war, pestilence, famine, and death. Anyway, between the explosion and the horsemen, Folkburn's about to shit his pants and prays to his pagan gods. Then, miraculously out of the air, comes Thor. Thor. He easily defeats the horsemen and saves Folkburn from certain death. Thor then goes to the time ship to find Apocalypse and with his enchanted axe is able to severely injure Apocalypse. It looks like he pretty much almost cuts off one of his arms. Having won the battle, Thor goes back to the tavern, brags about his victory, starts drinking, you know, typical day. But then Odin bursts in and ruins the party, telling Thor that he's an idiot who set in motion a devastating series of events. He also says that the weapon Thor enchanted is now his burden to protect. Because of its power, if it falls into the wrong hands, it's going to be a major problem. Wolverine's ancestor, Folkburn Logan, however, escapes the whole thing unscathed and unaware of the meaning of the whole event. I would imagine there's a little bit of traumatization there, but he goes back to his pagan life and Wolverine's place in history is saved. The issue ends in the present with Ramatut visiting a tomb where Thor's enchanted axe has been hidden away. By the time Ramatut steals it, I'm sure Thor has completely forgotten about it altogether. But whoever Ramatut is after now has to deal with the weapon that can pierce even celestial-made armor. Apocalypse comes out with not much to show for this whole endeavor. He not only failed to take out Thor or end the ancestral line of Wolverine, but Ramatut outwits him as well. Honestly, though, it's pretty fun to watch uh, Apocalypse get conned. Even though I can't really root for the person who did it because it's Ramatut, but still, it's fun to watch someone get the best of Apocalypse. There's obviously more to this storyline in the Uncanny Avengers series, but it's way too far down the X-Men timeline for me to continue. Still, I thought since that whole thing falls into that 5,000 year time period, um, and it gives a pretty good insight into what Apocalypse is up to through the centuries. He's definitely playing the long game in his plans for world domination. I'm gonna leave it there for today, But next episode, I will be finishing up with the pre-X-Men history of Apocalypse with his battle against the vampire Dracula. It's a really fun story, and I can't wait to get into it. Um, Check out my Instagram if you want to read it for the episode. And also, you can check out the blog for show notes, links, all that good stuff. So, thank you for listening. Bye! Bye!